What up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On Warriors. I'm your host, Charles T. Hamilton. Going to be joined by co-host Wes Goldberg in just a moment. But the Dubs get their first win at the Chase Center, 127-118 to over the Portland Trailblazers. We got everything from that game coming at you, the good and the bad. It's all coming up next here on Locked On Warriors on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to Locked On Warriors. The Dubs got their first win ever at the Chase Center last night against the Portland Trailblazers. Man, uh, I got some things to say about the Trailblazers a little later. But right now, let's just celebrate the Dubs getting that win. And this is going to be great bar trivia one day uh, as far as the starting lineup for the Dubs when they got their first win at Chase Center. Of course, it was Kai Bowman, Jordan Poole, Eric Paschal, Glenn Robinson III, and Willie Cauley-Stein. We're going to cover all of that in just a minute. But first, Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON at manscaped.com. That is code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Charles T. Hamilton and Wes Goldberg here with you on the heels of the Warriors' first-ever win at the Chase Center. I mean, I made the joke like it's great bar trivia who the starting five were at their first ever win at the Chase Center, but they got it done, man. They played hard and like a lot of really intriguing, encouraging things happened in this game. You were there, Wes. I mean, just I'm, I'm going to pass it to you. What'd you see? I saw Eric Pascal uh, dominating, which I didn't expect to see. I mean, this is a dude who played really well in the last game. And, uh, you know, everybody was asking him post game why he was able to do that, you know, all those kind of important questions will allow you to be able to go out and score like you did. You know, the confidence, I mean, you kept some confidence. My teammates gave me confidence, confidence and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes out and scores 34 points and, and grabs 13 rebounds against the Portland Trailblazers team that is not a Charlotte Hornets team. That is a maybe playoff-bound team, even though I guess we could argue that based on what we saw tonight. But this is a guy who just came out and established his presence really early. And I thought it was pretty telling that after the game, he said, this is a doggy dog world and the NBA is the same way. And he basically said, if you're not a killer, you're not going to, you're, you're going to get eaten alive. And I was just like, that was, that was a really cool quote, man. Like I'm definitely <laughs> using that in my story. And, that, but that's sort of how he, like, this is kind of a, he's a good quote, but he's kind of a quiet guy. And for him to say that, like, you could tell, again, not to use his own words, not to use his cliches, but the confidence in him is really building. I mean, absolutely. 34 points. He's the first Warriors rookie to have back-to-back 25-point games since, of course, Steph Curry. Uh, one of the most intriguing parts or encouraging parts is, yeah, 34, all that great stuff, but he also went four of six from three, which before tonight, I believe he was 0 of eight in the regular season from three. Right. So that's he was 0 great. 0 of five to... in the last game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a great thing to see. And just, I mean, he's he's a grown-ass man. Like, that's the only way I can put <laughs> he really it. Is. He's, yep. he's a beast. That's a really good way to – it's a good way to put it. Like, 6'6", 255 pounds, played four years at Villanova. 
he's a grown ass man. That's a really yeah. like, that 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 pretty much encapsula- encapsulates what he is. And this is a, a young Warriors squad with all these injuries that needs grown ass men, and he is the adult on the floor for the Warriors. And, and not only offensively, but obviously defensively. That was what got him on the court in the first place. And I've said this before, but it is it, it really is incredible to see a, a rookie. I know he's an older rookie, but he's a rookie, right? He's he's talking about these things like the NBA is a dog-eat-dog world or whatever. It's like, how do you know? You just got here. How do you know anything? And And for him to keep expanding his game with the more and more minutes and the more and more things that Steve Kerr puts on his plate is remarkable. It really is. We don't, this is not something that you see from rookies. One of the most intriguing parts about him, at least through, you know, the first, what, five, six games, first week of the season. And look, I don't care. I, I, I will overreact to Eric Paschal. Other things I'll, I'll give the proper time to, but I'm allowed to overreact to this. Uh, he came in, looked at as a, more of a defensive player and is the offense is a work in progress. I, I, I guess we underestimated his offense because it is much further ahead than I would have thought from, at least from what we saw and heard coming into the season. Yeah. I mean, he thinks he was underrated. He said that he's a scorer. He's been a scorer his whole life. And that in Villanova, he was asked to be a defensive player. And then by his senior year, he was asked to be more of a scorer again, but you look at his senior year at Villanova, when you watched him, you didn't see this, right? No. Like, even if he got a little bit more, like, this was not happening at Villanova. And I do, I think there's a couple things happening there. I think it took, he was, yeah, he was a defensive first player at Villanova for the first three years he was there. It takes a little while to kind of flip that switch. And I think we saw, like, that last, last minute, he started to flip the switch, maybe. And now the, the, which is flipped now in his first year in the NBA. So maybe that's partly it. And then the other part of it is guys like him tend to play better in the NBA because the more space you give him, the better off he is. His, his go-to move is use his shoulders to get to the rim. That's the go-to move that he has. And it's easier to do that when you have a lot more space. And I think that the Warriors offense provides more space than the Villanova offense does. And so maybe there's two things there that are happening. Um, obviously he's not going to go out and score 34 points every night, but he's going to be a scorer for this team going forward. No question. I mean, you were there and, and I'm sure you heard it, but Steve Kerr had a great quote. You know, the, the only person that could keep Pascal under 20 is Jay Wright, his, his college coach, uh, which <laughs> right. I thought was pretty, I thought was pretty good. Um, one thing that I see from, from Pascal and look, I'm looking way too far ahead, but with the departures of Andre Guadalla, Kevin Durant, um, and you can go back to Harrison Barnes and who, all the people they've lost over the last five years, especially this most recent offseason, is basically the death of the death lineup, the Hamptons mm-hmm. Five, whatever you want to call it, them having the ability to go small. Now, they still have the three in Steph, Clay, and Draymond, but then you're missing the guy that can you know move in and uh, play up at the four or, in Pascal's case, just play the four. So basically what I'm getting at is – that to me, he's a candidate for one of the the two open spots in the new death lineup. We probably won't see until next season, but he's definitely a candidate for it. You know, through through six games, I'll keep using that caveat. But man, I've just been so impressed that I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be a part of that, uh, or at least a candidate to be a part of it moving forward. So, what does that look like then? We're talking about Curry, D'Angelo Russell, 
Clay Thompson, Pascal, and Green. That's what that's kind of what you're envisioning. For the most part, again, the D'Angelo Russell is up in the air. Yeah, um, sure. Yes, that that's the that would be the the newest one. Um, but let's say you know, depending on what happens with D'Angelo Russell, maybe there's a different small forward in there. But what what was also intriguing about that is we saw it. Uh, was it San Antonio when he started Draymond at the five and Pascal at the four? Uh, when he started small with uh, with those two was okay. Well, maybe Pascal's playing at the five. You know, he right. has that ability as well to where he can be out there playing the five and not having Draymond take such a beating. He can take some of the the physicality that Draymond usually does as well. So that's that's another part. I mean, he's just he's. I, I hate to compare him to Draymond, but he's 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 similar to Draymond. He is. I mean, it's it's a lazy comparison, but it's a good comparison it's like why you know why get off the couch to turn the, the tv channel and we have the remote right next to you because it, <laughs> it's lazy but it's effective. Yeah. um this is they're basically the same size they have a very similar game when we talk about utilizing them both in a, de- in a small ball lineup a death lineup whatever the only question really is okay which one of those guys are making threes well we know mm-hmm. it's going to be drawn on green because he doesn't do that anymore but eric pascal made four out of six you know, so there's games where he goes 0 for 5, and there's games where he goes 4 for 6. If it's one of those 4 for 6 points, I think you can really use him that way. I think that's generally something to be a question. I don't know if he's ever going to be – I don't know. I don't want to take anything away from this guy, but I, if, if he could be a 35% three-point shooter, then boom, you've got something there. And exactly. you can play a very versatile front court, and you're, and you're exactly right. Like, you have him in the regular season taking some of those beatings where Draymond Green doesn't have to. I think the concern if you're the Warriors is we don't want to play a lot of small ball because that puts a pounding on, on Draymond. Well, let, let the, the 22-year-old, now 23-year-old, as of today, rookie, he can do it. He can figure it out. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's, um, that's the thing, too. I don't want to overreact. Four of six is great. But, again, those are the first threes he's made in his NBA career. But, yeah, 35%, like, is that that crazy to think that he could be up there? Not really. No, he seemed he seemed relieved that he had it. It was one of the first things he said at the press conference was, "I finally got my first three to go down." I don't know if that's like a six minute mile type of situation where all of a sudden he's able to start making right. a bunch of threes, but it very well could be. Um, I mean, the stroke looks good, ish. It doesn't. It's not. It's not Draymond bad, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's something there. Um, but to kind of keep going with this this death lineup thing, I mean, it, it was telling that at the end of this Portland game. Steve Kerr goes small. He puts Pascal at the five, and Terry Stotts, the Portland Trailblazers coach, didn't really know what to do. He kind of looked down his bench and was like, uh, "Crap, uh, uh, Mario Zonia, you play five. And as soon as I happened, I was celebrating my recap. I was like, "Yeah, this game's over. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. know who's winning this one." So uh, there is a even as a rookie, he's presenting some matchup problems for opponents. Definitely, and look, I want to talk Portland a little bit later because I don't know. Maybe the Warriors just have their number, but man, I am. I'm a little nerve, a little nervous for them, but uh, we'll we'll do that uh, in a, in a couple minutes. I want to talk about some of the other guys because obviously Pascal was the headliner with the double double, 34 points on his birthday, back to back 25 point games. Like we're going to talk about him plenty throughout the season, but there were some yeah. other pretty damn good performances from guys who are rookies or rookies on two way contracts, and I got to start with Kai Bowman because. Summer league preseason, we didn't see a ton. It's you're asking a lot to, you know, hope to see these guys perform when they're out there with Steph and Draymond and things like that. But now that they're out there, 
with a bunch of other rookies, you know, they're, they're more comfortable. And look, Kai Bowman was the only point guard they had. And he performed, again, pretty damn well tonight. He had 19 on 9 of 14 shooting, 1 of 3 from 3, 4 rebounds, 8 assists. And it's too bad Jacob Evans is out right now because he would be getting the opportunities. But here's the deal. Jacob Evans was a project to potentially be the backup point guard. And right. I think he's got some competition right now. I honestly do. And Kai Bowman, if you look back at his uh, last game against uh, Charlotte, right? Charlotte. Yeah, against Charlotte, yeah. he had 16 on 6 of 11 shooting. Like, he's performing with these opportunities that, sadly for Jacob Evans, injury has robbed him of. But Kai Bowman's making the most of them. And there might be a point where they have to make a decision with his two-way contract, like, I, I, I don't know what moves they can make. Marquise Chris, as we know, Marquise Chris is the only non-guaranteed, but just he's he's competition now. They were just in this situation with Marquise Chris, right? Chris was playing so well the preseason because, and, you know, injuries to Kevon Mooney and Willie Cauley-Stein. They're like, we got to find a way to keep this guy. And they waved up on the McKinney's non-guaranteed deal to make room for Chris. And Chris, as of tonight, was the third center off the bench behind Willie Cauley-Stein and Amari Spellman. Amari Spellman has done enough where he's let Chris in the rotation. But all, all three of those centers are playing 15 minutes. It doesn't really matter which order they come off the bench. I think that's pretty much going to be status quo, at least until Cauley-Stein gets into real you know, midseason game shape. But with a guy like Kai Bowman, the math isn't hard for guys like him to make it in the NBA. It, there's, not, there's maybe a couple of handfuls of, of point guards who are plus defenders. And like that sounds like crazy exactly. to say, but if you really think about what point guards can guard their position one-on-one at a high level, there's really not that many. And Kai Bowman is at least trying to prove that he's one of them. There are times where he screws up. But like tonight, the Warriors played a blitzing scheme against Portland, as they always do against Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, and they let Bowman do it. They asked him to pick up 94 feet. They asked him to blitz the crap out of, out of Lillard and McCollum, and he did it, and he did a good job. I mean, I know Lillard had his night, but Lillard's always going to have his night. But CJ McCollum disappeared. I, mean, I didn't even know if he played tonight. Man. I, I, and, and so a guy like Bowman, if, you, if all he has to do is two things, defend your ass off and just make shots. And if you do those two things, you will play in the NBA at that position. It's not hard. And now he might, he's not going to be a starter or a superstar or all-star or anything like that, but he'll have a living. And yeah. that's kind of what he's looking for right now. And, I, and just how does it work? Well, either you can waive Marquise Chris, which they're not going to do because they need bodies at that position, or – by the time Bowman's 45 days are up on this two-way deal, it'll be the middle of December. And at that point, all of the free agents that the Warriors signed over the summer will be now eligible to get traded. And so you start looking up and down this roster, and you say, all right, well, who, who on this roster would we want to trade in order to make room for Bowman? You talked about Jacob Evans. Do you maybe move him and see if you can get anything back for him, a conditional second-round pick or something like that? Um, to go back to the first time we did, do you start throwing off sports? You say, look, Alex Burks. He's a veteran. We don't need him anymore. You could probably get some cash back for him or a, a late second rounder for Alec Burks. He doesn't really serve a purpose for this team right now. Glenn you could trade him to those guys. And Glenn Robinson said, I think they like his versatility on the wing because they don't have a lot of guys at that size. But even then, like, maybe you move him because you don't want to deal with his second year. Maybe you move, like, there's, there's guys you can move and even potentially get something back as opposed to having to give something up. And then you can keep a Kai Bowman. And just, what's the long-term goal for this season it's to find two two or three guys who could be rotation pieces next year when everybody's healthy Bowman looks like he could be one of those guys exactly and the the thing with 
this season. And we talked about Kendrick Nunn uh, on yesterday's episode, I believe, and just that the Warriors weren't in a position to be able to keep him. Um, yeah. But that's the one of the benefits of this season is you're not playing for a championship. The 15 roster spots aren't so important that, you know, having an Andrew Bogut over developing a Kendrick Nunn or, you know, I mentioned Derek Jones before. I remember when he got waived by Phoenix and I was like that, I would love for the Warriors to grab him. But again, they were in the position of chasing championships, not developing young players. But at this point it's about developing young players. And it's a little different because even if they don't, sign Bowman to the uh, official 15 man. They still have his rights because of the two way, blah, blah, blah. But I I'd rather just not even mess around and get him up on the, the 15 man roster. Um, eventually again, uh, overreacting to a couple games, but for an undrafted, you know, two way contract who did not look good during the preseason. Like I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah, and I don't think it's an overreaction to say like he's the only backup point guard on the roster. I guess technically D'Angelo Russell is your backup point guard, right? Yeah. But he's been hurt for two games. He's probably going to miss the Houston game. We'll see. But you know, Steph is out for a long time, and you need to, you need to back a backup point guard. The Warriors, that position for them has been you know this turnstile type of thing for years. You know, Quinn Cook was a nice stopgap before him. They've got other guys, but if you can find a young guy like Ty Bowman on on a really uh, uh, bargain type of deal, it's really going to help this team. So I don't think it's an overreaction. I to expect 19 points out of every night is an overreaction, but I don't yeah. think either of us think that. So just have a guy that can fill minutes and play super hard on defense again, and, and just you trust him to make a shot every once in a while. That's all you're really looking for there. And the defense is such an important part because of all the defenders they lost. So when you find a guy who one can defend and does have some offensive ability, isn't a zero on offense. Like, sorry, I, I don't want to let that guy go. Uh, there were a couple right, other good guys. Every, every, I just want to say, every yeah, yeah. time you ask about anything, even if you ask about offense, he'll say, I got to pick up at 94 feet. And we're like, we're not talking about that guy. <laughs> but he's like, no, I'm picking up at 94 feet. And I'm like, all right, that's your thing. I got it. Totally understand. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, there were a couple other good performances as well. We're going to talk about them coming up in just a minute. The Dubs did beat Portland 127-118 to 118 for the first Chase Center win ever. Uh, I, you know, I think the Warriors just have Portland. They're in Portland's head. Everyone besides Dame Lillard's head, basically. Uh, but it was a good performance. We talked about Eric Pascal. We talked about Kai Bowman. And this one wasn't as huge uh, because they did get contributions from just about everyone. But I don't think we talked about the Warriors picking up Amari Spellman and Jacob Evans' third-year options. Um, did you have any, did you feel one way or another about those when they, when, when the news came out a couple of days ago? Yeah, I knew that they were going to pick up Jacob Evans. Right. You just, you draft the guy in the first round, you kind of have to pick up that third year. Um, that's, that's just what you have to do. Amari Spellman, I wasn't as sure. Um, uh, his performance on a game to game basis fluctuates almost as much as his weight does. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. And I mean, it's like Jonah Hill levels really, but it made sense to pick up that option because you get a guy who was the 30th pick in the draft a year ago. He's got potential. I mean, there's, there's like the kind of, there's the, the outline of a guy who could stretch the floor from the five position, um, make some passes, be a big body. Maybe he'd be like this, you know, three and B guy. We hear about three and D three and B like make three pointers and get blocks. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's got that sort of outline. So for the price, it makes sense, and I know that this is a young team, and everybody, okay, you get the guys back next year, but they're still going to be capped out. So 
if you have talent on, 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 a, on a team controlled contract, you just got to pick it up. And so at the end of the day, I wasn't super shocked that they ended up picking up Spellman, even though I was a little on the fence about it. I'm right there with you. I thought Jacob Evans was obvious. Uh, a wing, cost-controlled wing that you drafted in the first round. Spellman yeah. wasn't so sure, came in out of shape. And then for all the talk of him being a jump-shooting big man, you know, wasn't knocking down a lot of jumpers in preseason and all that. But that's why I wanted to bring him up tonight because we saw three, uh, two mid-range and one uh, three-pointer that he was able to knock down. And when he came in the first three or four games when the Warriors were getting their asses kicked and everyone was pretty lax, I thought he played with the most energy and hustle than than anyone else on the floor, which was a bonus for him and for the team, yeah. you know, diving all over the place, fighting for rebounds, stuff like that, which I hadn't seen before either. So I was wondering, you know, does the coaching staff see that he is making that effort and they believe in his jumper? So maybe they have a player there. So I just thought seeing the jumpers go down tonight was uh, a nice development. And he also had six rebounds, two assists, you know, seven points. But just seeing the jumpers go down was was good to see. We might be in a weird situation. I'm not ready to say that this is the case. I got to really dive into the numbers, but it's something I've been thinking about. Is he the bellwether of this team, whether or not they win or lose? Because the the two games that they've won, he's had really good nights for them. He's played at the end of these games or towards the end of these games, I should say. I mean, against New Orleans, the first win of the season and before tonight, the only win of the season, I think he had eight points, eight rebounds, and was doing all that stuff you were talking about, hustling, diving for loose balls, really, really active, running on both ends of the floor, et cetera. Tonight, same thing. What was it? Seven points, six rebounds, yeah. eight of three. Was really hustling out there. I mean, he might be the, like weirdly the bellwether of this team, which is not a great position to be in because again, his performance fluctuates a lot. And we go back to his three point shot. I mean, Luke Babbitt. Oh yeah. So everybody always said that Luke Babbitt was a good three point shooter, but every time I watched Luke Babbitt, he never made threes. He always like, looked like a good three-point shooter. If you look at basketball reference, like, oh, yeah, like 36% three-point shooter. He's a good one. But, like, I swear to God, I've never seen him make a three. It's just, like, the only reason I know he's a good three-point shooter is because the stats say he is, but the eye test is, like, <laughs> he's never made one. Amari Spellman, to me, is like that. I think he's, like, a 30% three-point shooter. That's a big man position. But it's, like, I hardly ever see them go in. Tonight it went in, the one three-pointer he took. So I was a little worried that he was going to be a little bit of a Luke Babbitt situation. Um, <laughs> hopefully for the Warriors, he's not. But, yeah. again, just to go back to the – it's really not even about that. It's more of him just playing really hard, and it sounds really simplistic, but in the two games where he has played really, really hard and had his best games, the Warriors have won. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes it is just that simple. Um, and the other thing t- as well, when I bring him up, and I also got to bring up Jordan Poole because he, you know, 16 points, but 8 of 8 from the free throw line, which is great, but 3 of 16 yeah. from the field. Not exactly a great game. Um, but when I bring up, you know, Spellman and Poole and some of these other young guys, Jacob Evans, when he returns, something we got to remember is because Pascal and Bowman look so good so early, which is awesome. These other guys still have the rest of the year and summer to develop. You know, it's not dire that they're good now. It's pretty awesome that Pascal and Bowman look pretty good now. But for the other guys, you know, this is still a development season for them. Yeah, and Jordan Poole specifically. I mean, we're talking about, look, you've got Pascal, who's a player. You took him at 41 overall. Kai Bowman, you just grabbed off of the undrafted free agent list, and he seems like a contributor for you. We haven't talked about the first-round pick in Jordan Poole until just now. We haven't, like, really, we haven't discussed Alan Smiley-Geach, who they took two picks ahead of Pascal in the second round at 39. Like, this is a team where 
yeah, you've got the rest of the season to develop these guys. Jordan Poole, they knew, was going to be more of a developmental project than Pascal was already. They knew Pascal was a plug-and-play guy. They didn't know Pascal was a plug-and-play and go get 36 points guy, 34 <laughs> points guy, but they knew he could play right away. Poole, they didn't think was going to play right away, but circumstances dictate that he had to play right away. So he's already ahead of schedule in that regard, um, and he'll have it until the end of the year. I think with him, can he be more than a gunner? Can he be yeah. more of a guy who just goes out there and shoots everything in sight? And sometimes they go in, sometimes they don't. I was joking with one of the other reporters tonight. I think there are games where he ha- he brought his contacts, and there's other games where he forgot to bring them <laughs> because there's some nights where he's hitting nothing but net, and there's other nights where everything's going off the right side of the rim. Yeah. So I don't know if there's like a situ- an eyesight situation with that, but that's where he's at. And can he create in a secondary offense? Can he just He's never going to be an elite defender, but can he just be in the right spots? He's oftentimes not um, in those things. But, again, he's got time. And it's not like each other hasn't played. Yeah. And he's, he's like one of those two years away from being two years away kind of guys. But, uh, you know, that, that's now you're going from, all right, a first-rounder and a couple of second-rounders, one who is a long-term project. And now you've got, like, you know, three guys who could be real rotation pieces considering that they've got all this runway to develop. I, with Jordan Poole, it's funny. It's almost as if his body moves too fast for his brain. So I'm wondering, <laughs> is his brain ever going to speed up or his body ever going to slow down? And I don't know if he'll meet in the middle somewhere or what. But he just, yeah, he's just kind of frantic and, and all over the place. But you're right. As far as we're not looking at any of these guys to become superstars. If If Jordan Poole can become a you know, three-point shooter off the bench who's not just a, a no-conscious gunner, that would be an upgrade over, you know, just shooting everything and kind of being all right. or nothing on, on for, from a night-to-night basis. Uh, one more thing that I love about this team, I guess, or these young guys, and this was well before the Bowman-Whiteside thing or Rodney Hood's little cheap shot on pool, is they're not afraid. They feel like they belong and they're going to go at your throat and you know what? There's going to be games they lose by 30, but they're going to come back the next night and do the exact same thing. And I freaking love it. I I love that attitude from them because we've seen guys that they've drafted be scared. We've seen free agents that they brought in be scared. Nick Young, Omri Caspi, like to get a group of rookies and second year players who are not scared at all is, I mean, I just, it, it was awesome. I love seeing it. Well, I, I do want to point out they did seem timid when Draymond and Steph and D'Angelo were all out there. They, it was just a lot of guys just sort of standing around waiting for the game to come to them, not really asserting themselves, everybody with basically the exception of Pascal. And then as soon as those guys go out, that is why this team keeps talking about, oh, this is a great opportunity, this is a great opportunity. There's no deferring. There's just like just everybody just do their best because there's nobody to defer to. And that kind of ups the ante for everybody, ups the aggression factor for everybody because before Jordan Poole jacking up a bunch of threes and missing them all to the right was a bad thing because he had Steph Curry on the other side saying, well, he should probably be shooting the ball. Well, now it just doesn't matter who's shooting the ball. If everybody's going, they're going. A night like this, Pascal's got the hot hand, they feed him. And that's probably what we're going to keep seeing going forward. I mean, there's going to be a night where Jordan Poole scores 30 points. I guarantee oh, yeah. it. There's going to be a night. And we're going to be on this podcast talking about, you know, Jordan Poole being, you know, the centerpiece of the future or whatever. But <laughs> it, it, it's going to happen. And there's going to be nights. One of these centers is going to blow up for like a 20 and 15 night or something. Oh, like yeah. it's just going to happen because the runway is there. Yeah. And so I think that 
they're able to play with that confidence because they have to, but then going forward, if they're able to establish themselves that way, well, then once all those guys come back, then maybe they can start playing with that confidence because, quite frankly, that's what was missing when they were playing with those other guys. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you, Wes, because I, I don't know, I don't want to bash him too bad, but, man, Portland, I just – I like – I love Dame. He is the exception, but I just think that team is soft mentally. I don't like the moves they made. I just I, – I, I don't know. They're probably a playoff team, but, man, I uh, – Tonight was a bad night for him. I'll put it that way. Where, where are you at with Portland? I'm I'm a I'm I'm always pretty bullish on Portland. I have a, I have a soft place in my heart for for Portland. I really enjoy that team. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy Damian Lillard, just like you. But it seems like this is maybe the last year of whatever this is. Um, they shook it up on the perimeter. They got rid of a bunch of guys. They brought in a bunch of new guys like Rodney Hood and Mario Zonia, whatever. So. It kind of felt like they were just doing stuff to do stuff. They moved a bunch of players. They got Hassan Whiteside back until until uh, Yusuf Nurkic comes back. And that's a big deal for them. Once Nurkic comes back, he changes everything. Not only do you get Whiteside off the floor because he's a bum. Once you get him off the floor, I think think that team gets a lot better. You go from maybe one of the worst plus-minus centers in the league to a real elite plus-minus type center in Nurkic. So that's going to help them. But they still got a lot of problems defensively on the perimeter. And that I think we've seen basically as far as this Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum thing can go. And Damian Lillard's greatest strength is that he gets teammates to bond. He, he's a great leader. He's a great locker room guy. We hear all these things that he's loyal. It might also be his biggest weakness because he's probably not going to sign off on a CJ McCollum trade. Mm-hmm. And so then you start wondering on, about Neil Olshie, the GM, and his future. This might be the last year for him. This sort of feels like where the Clippers were a few years ago with the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan core. It's just like, it took them as long as they can go. It got stale. There was just something in the air there that they couldn't quite get past. And it kind of feels like that's what's happening for the trailblazers. Now they've got, they're going to have to shake something up here. I don't know if it's trading McCollum and Anthony Simons and Nurkic and just trying to get that elite superstar wing next to Damian Lillard. Like a guy like Paul George would be the perfect fit next to Damian Lillard. Um, A guy like Clay Thompson would be the perfect fit. I'm not saying that they're going to, trade those guys but i'm just trying to like the mold of a character yeah, that yeah. works next to damian lillard that's the sort of move they have to make but it kind of feels like this is the end of the run of again whatever this version of portland is well wes i think we we've gone long again uh which i'm sure we'll do a whole lot more throughout the year but uh what is it warriors take on the rockets tomorrow so we'll see that that one could be rough but who knows i thought the portland game would be rough so We'll see what they got for for Houston. Uh, maybe another team that can get in their head. That'd be that'd be that'd be another fun one to watch. I can't lie. I know technically losses are better at this point, but you know, if these uh, if the Warriors B and C team can beat Houston, that'd be that'd be pretty damn fun. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right on, man. Well, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Locked On Warriors on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day you are locked on warriors your daily podcast on the golden state warriors part of the locked on podcast network your team every day